You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This week on an all new episode of Spit with Scott Bass. Skinny Aki, keep them coming. Where's Fat Aki? We need Skinny Aki and Fat Aki to get in an MMA ring (laughs) and go at it. They're in different weight divisions. But Fat Aki got his due last show. We don't need to give him more. No, you're right. Come on, Fat. Fat Aki ripped us. What if we get Fair to Midland Aki next week? Fair to Midland. (laughs) Like medium rare Aki. (laughs) The year 2000 Aki. (laughs) Went in at 187. I feel like Fair to Midland Aki. If you're looking for Spit, it's available exclusively on its own podcast feed. Open up your podcast app, go to the search function, and search Spit Surf to find it, subscribe, and never miss a single episode, and have access to all of the past archives of Spit. Welcome back to the Surf Splendor Podcast Network. Of course, I am your host, David Scales, and today I wax on with Chris Gallagher Stone. You may have seen him in the channel during the Billabong Tahiti Pro. Chris is a former CT surfer himself. He is a surfboard shaper, and he is a surf coach, notably for the Hobgood Brothers um, when they were on tour. And then this past year, he's taken a full-time position with Jordy Smith, which is the precise reason why I wanted to talk to Chris. I've actually been wanting to chat with one of um, these kind of CT-level surf coaches that we've seen in recent years. We always discuss them on the show. We discuss uh, what are the qualifications for a coach? Um, what value do they add to the surfer? You know, These are the top, top-level athletes in the world. How do you even coach them? If it's a sports psychology role, why aren't they just hiring sports psychologists? So eager to sit down and hear straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So Chris Gallagher was kind enough to um, join me for an hour, an hour and a half actually, on a very, very short stint that he had in Southern California the day before flying off to Tahiti. He was here working on boards with Jordy. And um, yeah, fully enjoyed the conversation, enjoyed getting to connect with Chris, super cool dude. And because of his surfboard shaping background, um, you know, offers a lot of unique insight that I think a lot of other coaches don't have. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Chris Gallagher Stone. You can find everything that we discuss in this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com and then, of course, on social media at surfsplendor. And let's not forget that if you make a financial contribution to the show through our donation link on surfsplendorpodcast.com, You'll be entered to win a custom board bag from Motai Custom Board Bags. They make those board bags out of recycled wetsuits, and they're actually tailor-made for your specific board. They don't have stock sizes. You send them the specs for your board. They explain how to do that. It's really simple, and then they will make you a custom board bag. This is a $250 value, and again, if you just send a $5 monthly donation to this show, you'll be entered to win that through the rest of this month, the month of August. All right, so check that out on Surf. Surfsplendorpodcast.com. 
And it's really the main way to keep this show afloat as well. Those donations are uh, where we purchase the equipment from, where we travel to meet guests with, all that sort of stuff. You know what it takes to run a business. So your donations help keep this thing going. So thank you for that. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Chris Gallagher-Stone. Enjoy this episode of Wax On. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks again. Everybody plays a beautiful game while I'm in Brazil Cause it's all you've ever wanted And it's all that you want still Don't you wanna play the beautiful game out in Brazil I wanna play the beautiful game So I'm just gonna get right into it I'm, I'm gonna focus most of this conversation, of course, on I think it's fine, we need the air club Gotcha, yeah um, I'm gonna focus most of the conversation on obviously coaching and specifically Jordy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get into your backstory and all that as it comes up, but I'm just going to kind of get right into it, into the meat and potatoes of it, which is why hasn't Jordy won a world title yet? He's everybody's, he's a lot of people's favorite surfer. He's arguably among the most talented surfers in the world that hasn't won a world title. Mm-hmm. Obviously you guys are making strides this year. Let's talk about prior to you working with him, why hasn't he won a world title? Well, I think I should start by admittedly on his side, not coming from me specifically, okay. he's he hasn't put um, 100% into it. And even last year, um, you know, we were talking after Pipe and he was pretty excited about getting second and everything. And then you know, I kind of said, hey, what do you think percentage-wise you really did this year? Because we didn't, we didn't work the whole year last year. Um, we worked for the first part of the season, and then he kind of wanted to do it on his own towards the last end. And then I, I worked with him at Sunset um, for the during the Triple Crown. But um, he even said, you know, I don't know, like seventy, you know, like because there's there's a lot of things based on him being like such a big dude that he can't do, he can't, you know, or unless hasn't chosen to do. But there's a lot of the uh, the training side that he. Um, that he hasn't done and it's just a lot of it's based on him just being a freak of nature I think you know in the end as, as far as uh, his physicality his ability as someone who's you know 190 195 pounds being able to do backflips and all these things I mean he's he's definitely unique in surfing I don't think there's ever been anyone like him at his size um so I'm, I'm not exactly sure there's there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle of winning a world title it can be lonely it can be boring it can be you know, monotonous, the, the day in, day out, up at five in the morning, you know, not, not doing this, not doing that. Just everything is so geared towards that world title that it, it, it's not as if it takes the fun out of it, but it pre- is pretty intense. And I don't think, um, you kind of have to be in the right headspace to, to want to put, put that time in and, and that, those little extra things you need to do. If you're on the world tour and you're not striving for a world title every single event, then what are you doing there? Why would he only be giving 70%? Well, I mean, he was you know, was also doing, you know, video parts in the past. And, you know, that is a private conversation between me and him. Um, and it's not any sort of knock on his motivation. It's just more, I think he's realizing what other people are doing. You know what I mean? And that there is a lot of, if you think about Adriano's at places two weeks in advance. You know, Jordy wants to go home, spend time with his wife. And, you know, there's little things like that. I'm, you know what I mean? And maybe that's a number that's that's low. I mean, maybe it's higher than that as far as his effort. But um, I think anyone admittedly say, I could be doing more, you know. 
um, there's probably not that many people who think, yeah, I'm doing every single thing. No, you know, stone unturned. I've done everything I possibly could. Yeah. You know? And maybe that's just him stating like, hey, I've got more to give. You know, let's do it next year. Let's go. I'm ready. And yeah. so we've been doing, you know, as much as as his body can handle physically and surfing a lot. And there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that you have to put together. There's a lot of work you have to do on boards. You know, there's a lot of technical stuff we've worked on um a lot of foam rolling and stretching and all that boring jock stuff you got to do you know um that isn't particularly it just gets monotonous because it's day in it's day out it's it's non you know it's non-stop and you know people got into surfing because it was fun not because it was a job and right so um and you know sometimes it comes with maturity you know there's yeah. not a lot of guys that are winning world titles in their early 20s and he's just yeah. a kid from durban who grew up loving surfing and you know people forget that at 19 years old he was just pulled out of Durban in like this superstar overnight and people were just tripping over themselves to give him millions of dollars and you know when he first signed so I think it took some adjustment for him to kind of find out who he was and am I doing video parts am I going for world titles he got second place you know pretty soon after getting on the tour and you know he's had injuries and you know there's there's a lot of things that can kind of there's some stumbling blocks along the way that um that you can run into. Yeah. yeah. That, so that point actually segues perfectly into something I had written down, which is I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that idea of too much too soon. Yeah. Um, it could be argued with Kaloe. It could be argued with Julian, where Jordy was fond over, not from mm-hmm. his youth, but certainly at a certain age. Mm-hmm. The famous bidding war between Nike and O'Neal, and mm-hmm. I remember hearing like Nike had Michael Jordan call him on the phone to try to call him over onto the team, you know. Yeah. And so you have everybody fawning over you. Beautiful wife. Yeah. Cushy life. Yeah. Lots of money in the bank, as opposed to the fire that we see out of Adriano mm-hmm. and Gabriel, yep. who really feel like they're not trying to win this event. And they're not even setting their sights on the world title. They're setting their sights on, like, five world titles. Yeah. So to get through this event, it's just a small stepping stone. Yeah. Where you can see that in Adriano. Right. I'm not sure that I've seen that in Jordi. And, and, again, maybe it's too much too soon. Maybe it's not. What are your thoughts on how do those things affect a person, a human, and how do you uh, mitigate, you know, that? Yeah. I think, you know, Jordi's competitive, but these guys came from a very young age, like, this is how I'm going to make it in the world. It's the competitive only surfing. You know, I'm not going to be video part guy. You know, as a Brazilian, you're never going to be that guy. You know, it's coming more with Felipe and that, that that is is something. But the road has been competition. That's it. I can do good for my family. This is my way out. I've got the talent. You know, the parents are all in behind it. This is like your chance, you know, where, you know, Jordy just loves surfing. You know, he's just, okay. a, you know, like, and, and that's where he came from. You know, he played other sports and he, you know, and he, he never really thought that this was going to be something that he did when he was young, you know, that this was actually like a possibility for him. He just, you know, like, oh, wow, we can go surf and travel and get barreled. And he loved it. You know, yeah. he's just kind of a kid who wanted to go surf and he, you know, wasn't close to the beach early on. He'd surf on the weekends. And so that he just loved it, would surf all day on the weekends. And they finally didn't, you know, get near the beach a bit more. He just... You know, that was it. And I think, you know, most people that have done well in surfing, you have to love it because you got to put in your six hours a day. And mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, I don't know, maybe it's the sport where you need to practice the most, you know, to get proficient at it and to get your ocean knowledge and all that. On top of that, you have to 
obviously be a freak talent and sort of a perfect storm of of everything to come together for these these type of athletes that come along like Jordy or Philippe or Kelly or you know all these guys it's uh you know there's a lot of a lot of factors going into it you know but going back again I think Jordy grew up loving the sport you know and then just like wow cool I get to make a living doing this insane and then you know you need to win a world title you're that good and maybe in his mind he didn't think he was that good and now he's starting to he believes it. He's been, you know, confident, but you know that desire, that just burning desire, is something that maybe has taken a while to to really kick in. You know, how did you guys connect? How did you start working together? Um, I'm really good friends with Garth Tarlow, who is a sports marketing guy for O'Neill. He's been there forever. We've been really good friends a long time. I stayed at his house in Newport for years through when I was doing the tour and. Um, he always wanted me to work with Jordy, um, but it just sort of, along with his maturity, came the, you know, he's worked with a few other guys, but, you know, he's finally ready, and, you know, he's a private guy, you know, just maybe some of that, you know, limelight and everything, he's, he's you know, a lot of these guys are private and a little wary of somebody coming in and trying to mix things up or whatever his perception of who I was, and, but, um you know, I was actually surprised at, uh, you know, how quickly we gelled and, you know, whatever. We have completely different personalities, but sometimes that works, you know. We complement each other in a way. We become really good friends and, you know, we're, we're having a ball doing this. So it's been it's been a good experience. How long have you been working with him? Last two years. Okay. And last year was only part of the year? Part of the year. I went to uh, Australia and Brazil and then um, what else did I do? I forget. Anyway, yeah. Um, maybe this is pulling back the curtain too much, so you don't have to answer if you don't want. But what weaknesses are you working on with Jordy? I mean, I guess, like you said, there's a shifting it from seventy percent or whatever, eighty percent to one hundred percent commitment mm-hmm. to the title. But are yep. there any actual surfing weaknesses that you guys are focused on? Well, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but we've done a ton of work on his backhand, his turns, and his backhand surfing. And that was one of the reasons, um, you know, Garth was, was pushing for this was, um, you know, what, what they saw is something that could be worked on. And I do, I do, um, specialize in technique more than anything. That's what I do besides this. I do a lot of technique stuff with juniors and pros and different amateurs and things. So, um, I came in and we, we worked on that and, you know, Jordy's like, you know, ninja, like pretty, pretty wild how good he is at applying things like that. You know, which okay. you may or may not, you know, think, you know, but he's um, he's a very see it, do it kind of person. You know, he was able to, as a kid, um, watch somebody surf and then surf like them. You know what I mean? So he's very, uh, he could watch a trick and he could turn that into action where a lot of people look at it and their, their brain turns it into something different, you know, on the wave and they can't do it without repetition and somebody showing them the right way to do it. But uh, he was very good at understanding what we were trying to do and applying it like almost instantaneously so interesting the technique side there was a little bit of that and then it's all the you know a coach it's all that boring just like little percentages of you know what makes this guy tick how do we get him to compete better how do we get this guy to be in the moment always you know because that's where you really need to be that's 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 sport right zen boom right there in the moment at all times and and what tricks do you use to get him there and every athlete's different you know does he work on anger or excitement or being mellow or what is he telling himself in the water and 
So all those little pieces of the puzzle with competition, we just got done working on boards with his shaper down there, and that's a never-ending riddle for everybody. The equipment thing just goes on and on. So all the, I mean, nothing super exciting. It's all just little little pieces of the puzzle because if you add up 2%, 3%, 10%, 9%, and all these different facets, it ends up being a big difference of two, three, five heats sure. at the end of the year. That's a world title for somebody yeah. like him. You know, It's really fascinating. Um I'm really glad to actually be able to pick your brain about it because all of those nuance is the stuff that I'm interested in. And it's easy to gloss over because it is so kind of tedious, but yep. let's break it down. Sure. I feel like we hadn't really heard anything about surf coaches, certainly on the world tour level, up until fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And you look at guys like Kelly who killed it, yep. and then somebody makes the argument, oh, well, he's had Stephen Bell in his corner. Yep. And I'm like, well... Okay, so what is the role of a coach? Is the role of a surf coach different than it is a soccer coach? Because if Stephen Bell's the guy who's maybe making rental car arrangements, taking care of those details, and then just psyching Kelly up, that mm-hmm. feels more like a partnership or a sports psychologist or something. Yeah. But what is that role exactly for you, for you and Jordy? Um, I'm pretty overall type of a coach we really focus on performance more than more than most things you know like a lot of coaches are like all competition based it's all about lineups it's all about you know like what wave you're gonna pick and really breaking down and like they got their notepad out and timing sets and all that stuff and that's not really my my approach um i'm more about trying to get the athlete surfing their best you know and that's surfing's on the mind you know and when surfing's on the mind and good surfing's on the mind you're in the moment you're making good decisions so that's more my approach there's some guys that are on the road who are just facilitators and just uh and just a cheerleader sure. you know too where they're you know whether they the the athlete doesn't want any input from them or they don't feel comfortable giving the athlete input or whatever it is but they're there to make things easier to deal with the press to deal with this to get the boards ready to go get the board fixed and go grocery shop and pump them up and tell them they're ripping and you know just make things easy and just you know just to be there and those a lot of like team manager roles are, are like sure. that um and then i mean there's there's kind of everything and in, in, in everything in between as far as these relationships go and um it's a very personal thing having a coach on the road it's like you know you're living together you know, it's like yeah. me and you in this room for six weeks, you know, and we go surf and we come back and hang out and, you know, it, it has to work on a lot of different levels. Um, so when it actually does click and I wasn't really sure how it would click, I knew Jordy, but didn't know Jordy, you know what I mean? I wasn't sure yeah. how it was going to work going into it. And surprisingly it's been, it's been pleasant. <laughs> well, take this in the spirit in which it's intended. Sure. Um, <laughs> I envision that. You guys are spending that much time together. Jordy's a guy who's accomplished more than any of us. Mm-hmm. And it'd be easy for them to discount your value. Sure. You know, and I look at, like, the work Glenn Hall's doing, and I'm like, mm-hmm. when Glenn Hall first started with, let's say, Wilco, mm-hmm. I was like, why would Wilco rely on Glenn? Like, yep. Wilco shreds over Glenn, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's the success is undeniable. At this yeah. point, I'm eating mm-hmm. my own words, you know? Yeah. So, um I guess what are your qualifications and what, you know, positions you to do what you do with Jordy? Um, well, I was one of the first coaches on the tour and that was CJ and Damien hired me back in 08, 08 and 09. I'm super bad with years, but it was, it was yeah. back then. And I thought they had a lot of foresight in that, you know, at the time they were making enough money 
um, to do it. And um, I think Belly was one of the only ones, um, you know, and then the guy Pinga from Brazil was one of the only, I mean, it was limited and our approach was, um, was different, you know, and it's a lot of, a lot of what I learned from them. And during that time that kind of got me to this point okay. and then, you know, you don't have to be the best baseball player to be one of the best coaches, right? It's not as if, right. you know, Babe Ruth was a coach or, you know, these guys come in. And so it's, it's the person that retains information for whatever reason, or you just have that type of mind that, that, you know, I can't remember yesterday hardly, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I remember heats. I remember boards people wrote. I remember situations. And then it just, it's ex- experience, you know, yeah. you get into a situation and, you know, you're just like, oh, that's right. This is the pitfall of this situation. You run to your athlete and say, all right, breathe, calm down. You're going to get an adrenaline dump. And just these little things you learn along the way. And it's just experience, to be honest, you mm. know. Um, and I was obviously involved in it, but, um, and was on the tour, but I would say I wasn't um, amazing competitively. Just, you know, like, you're going to pay me to do what? I'm like, okay, let's yeah. go, you know. Because it wasn't like fame and Instagram and all that back then. It was just more like, I'm getting paid to go travel, you know. Yeah. Cool, let's go, you know. You won Margaret's? I did, yeah. And were you on tour for one year, or how long was it? God, I was on for two, another half year, like a replacement, and then, yeah, to be honest, like, my memory, it feels like one airplane, one contest, one hotel at this point. It's all kind of a blur. I have, like, individual memories of good moments, but actual years and time on tour and that, it's... uh, it's sort of a blur, to be honest. Um, given kind of what you're doing now, working with Jordy, I'm curious, just in hindsight, when you look back at that time in your life, what do you think prevented you from doing year, from making it to year three, year four, all that sort of stuff? Um, probably just that mentality of like, wow, I'm getting paid to surf. You know, I, I, I achieve more just by making the tour and just getting just getting a check. I came from Santa Cruz where no one was a pro surfer at the time or at least a competitive surfer. I mean, Richard Schmidt before me. And you kind of look at the history and you think, well, what about Rat and Adam and Pete and Fleet? And this is all pre-Mavericks, pre-people you know, people winning events and doing well from Santa Cruz. So I, you know, I just threw myself at the Bud Tour. It was all right points, just, you know, so it just kind of fell right in my lap in a sense, you know, the where... I did well enough on that to where O'Neill kind of said, you can do the tour and gave me a travel budget. So it all seemed like, you know, more than I ever, because I never grew up doing amateur events. I, oh. And I, I mean, I did a few in my hometown, but I never did an NSSA. I came down and did a couple WSA Invitational. So it wasn't like this dream I had, you know? Yeah. And so um, I went to Australia when I was, uh, went all over South Pacific and Indo. I took a seven month trip by myself when I was 17, got out of school early. And this was pre even the thought of being a, a professional and did, and did seven months through there. And I had surfed with, um, like Luke Egan and Nikki Wood and Matt Hoy and all those guys and made friends with them when I was, when I was touring. And I was thinking to myself, man, cause your perspective is different. They're all in the magazines and I'm surfing with them going, they're not that much better than me. Like yeah. maybe this is something I could do, you know? Um, so when I came home, I, you know, the Bud Tour kind of, and that was a great opportunity for a lot of people when that happened. Yeah. I guess it's getting a little long-winded, but... Um, Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of that was how it sort of started, you know, and then the Bud Tour was like, 
Malibu, the lane, lowers, Perfect. you know, this right point in Puerto Rico. So it, I couldn't go left. You know, I grew up in right points. I would, you know, so I would just wind up and smash the lip backhand and, you know, ended up doing decent enough. And then, so that was sort of how it started. So, you know, me actually going deep, you know, into the CT, it never really was even a thought. So just being there was, was cool, you know. I mean, the answer fits with what we were talking about with Jordy, which is you were in the wrong headspace, mm. you know? It was like, hey, I already achieved more than I thought I could, so yep. good enough for me. Yep. But where I was kind of drawing that analogy to the guys who I think their their goal is five world titles. Their sure. goal isn't just to win this event or yeah. this heat. Yeah, yeah. And so they just kind of leapfrog through the heats to get to that end goal. Yeah. It's an important difference in headspace and expectation of oneself and moonshots and Yeah, I wasn't hyper competitive. I was just what do I need to do to make a living at surfing? You know, for me it was like you could do construction, you could sell weed or yeah. you know, and then that was it growing up, kind of yeah. hippie white surfer trash pleasure point, you know, like that's where your headspace was at, you yeah. know. Parents had no money for us to go to school, so and this pro surfing thing was right there. I'm like, all right, how do I compete? How do I do this, you know? And because it was more of it wasn't like about winning more than it was about seeing the world for mm-hmm. for free or for cheap, you know. And, I mean, and the definition of a pro surfer back then was entirely different too. Like, yep. too, you couldn't imagine living the lifestyle these guys are living now. No, not know? even close. So. And you know, we didn't have cars. We would sleep in the competitors' area. I would sell, you know, my stuff at the flea market to get entry fees. And so it was just a different. It was just a different deal. You're, you know, and then Tom Kern and those people were so far from your world, right? You know, in the magazines, at least mentally. You yeah. know what I mean. Even though I maybe had the talent it, it, on some level to do better, there was just a there was just a, a level of non confidence that, mm. that I had probably um, that uh, didn't really start to come through until later on. And by then, it was like I'd seen the world and it just kind of became a job, and I wasn't really killing and making a bunch of money. So, you know, it wasn't uh, wasn't driven by competition so much. And then once the spun the world ten twelve times, it you know the the luster of it sort of wore off a little bit for me. I know I, I could see that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that detail about going to Australia and surfing with the guys who you had seen in magazines and rec- realizing that they're not actually that much better than you and your buddies. Mm-hmm. I've heard that exact sentiment come out yep. of Santa Cruz yep. over and over and over again. Yep. More than I've heard it come out of Santa Barbara or Southern California. Yeah. Um, where it's like that enclave up there. And, of course, the world took note kind of right around when you're talking about. Yep. You were part of that. But it's an interesting interesting little dynamic taking place. You Like in Australia, those guys in Sydney, they've got a world champion around every corner. And right. it's just a guy that lives down the road and they surf with him every day. There was none of that in Santa Cruz. Zero. You know? Right. Richard Schmidt was the closest thing we had. And he surfed big waves, you know? Yeah. And so that was the closest thing we had. Um, but the ability level was there. And, like, the stuff you guys were doing was there. It just wasn't really being documented and publicized. Yeah, there was, you know how there's always, like, this push of a crew? We had a crew at the time yeah. that really pushed ourselves. I mean, we would, if you didn't surf for six hours a day, you'd get, you'd get crap. Like, oh, you quit. You know what I mean? Like, we really pushed ourselves. And when the thruster came out, that's when everything just got to this fever pitch where everyone was just, it was all of a sudden, it was, it was like if... A surfboard came out now that was like 300% better than anything you had ever ridden. And every board got 50 to 100% better after that for the next three, four years. So that excitement, and that's why surfing was so big at that time, was 
all of a sudden, I remember just looking at the lip on my twin fin backhand of the point breaks, just drifting to the shoulder, looking at the lip and just dreaming of going up there. My board wouldn't go there. Then all of a sudden the board would go there so that there was, and I think that was for everybody in that generation was so excited to go surfing. Because everything, everywhere you dreamt of going was was possible all of a sudden. So thanks, that's, Simon. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first, my very first exposure to you, I remember it very vividly because uh, it was impactful. I went to Harbor Surfboards in Seal Beach, just down the street. It was my like around my 16th birthday. I had gotten some cash, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to buy a surf video. And my goal was to buy The Endless Summer too. Mm-hmm. I'd seen it and knew I loved it. Yeah. And I walked in there and they had them all like under the glass at the counter. And I was like, you know, I've seen Endless Summer too, so maybe I should get something I haven't seen. 30 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Surf videos were always 30 bucks back in that day. And uh, what I ended up buying was Tony Roberts' film, Jacked. Mm-hmm. It was an O'Neill film. Yep. And you were in that. Obviously, the whole Santa Cruz crew was in that. Yep. And uh, I loved that thing, man. And I actually still have it in my garage mm. in a box. But Classic. I watched that over and over and over again. It was amazing. Very cool. So, um, and I think that was prior to you qualifying. So, like, by the time you qualified, I was like, oh, I know. That's the guy from Jack, you know? Yeah, cool. Um, so, kind of getting back to Jordy. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you read this article or not. Um, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Steven Shearer wrote it, and it ended up on Beach Grit. But he said it was in regard to the J, uh, J Bay comp. Mm-hmm. And he said, straight up, there are five or six surfers in the draw who theoretically could have done what Felipe did. Mm-hmm. Idolo, Gabby, maybe Kaloe, um, But only one other who's actually likely to do it in a heat, and that's John John. The article basically goes on to say that Jordy is, in his quote, safety surfing to get through heats. The article wasn't an indictment of Jordy at all. It was mm-hmm. actually recognizing that Jordy's the guy who used to do rodeo flips. Jordy's the guy who used to do a Superman in a heat, but then, of course, he doesn't get the score for the Superman. Mm-hmm. So it's really more an indictment of the current judging format, where it's mm-hmm. like for Jordy to find the success that he wants to find that world title, he's going to have to tone it down a couple of pegs and just surf to the judge's criteria. Curious what your thoughts are on that whole concept. Um, yeah, I mean, we're this is the system that we're in, right? And we're, you can't just flip your finger to it and, you know, and it is J-Bay. So, you know, pumping down the line and doing an air and falling – and missing sections, you know, I don't know. It's it's a weird balance, to be honest, and it's it's uh, it's hard to hard. I'm not trying to dance around it. It's just you know, this is the system that we're in. Right. And you know, when I do my just to back up in my technique stuff, I teach the bottom turn and the forehand wrap more than I teach kids how to do airs. You know, so is it more dynamic? Is it the future? Is it incredible? What Felipe's doing? I mean, we got smoked, right? But, you know, the technicality of a perfect bottom turn into a perfect forehand wrap, is it low risk for Jordy? Sure. But is it technically very, you know, there's a lot of combination of things going on in there because you don't see people doing that turn like he does it. Or there's only a few guys on the tour that do it. And, you know, and every kid that comes up, what's the conversation? He needs to work on his rail game. You know what I mean? That's the conversation. So is it, have we seen it? Sure. Is it something that, 
can be considered safe for some people, sure. But is it easy? No. Right. It's not easy. That's that's if it was easy, every recreational surfer would be doing it. Yeah. It's not easy. You know, people are disconnected, their arms are all over the place, they dip their arm, they dig rail, they shoot it too early, there's no drive. I mean, you're trying to take you're trying to go you know, from going 25 miles, miles an hour one way to 25 miles an hour the other way. And you know what I mean? So, it, yeah. and then to flow everything together. So a really well put together wave is art in the sense. And, and that doesn't take away from the aerial side of it either. So there's great, excellent surfing, no matter what, put an adjective to the surfing, you know, put an adjective to it. Was that excellent surfing? Of course it was. Mm-hmm. Was Felipe surfing beyond excellent? Of course it was. Dory's getting eights. He's getting tens. We get smoked, you know. But it doesn't say that he's surfing safe or that it's easy. It fits the criteria. You know, maybe I'm old school, you know. But I will tell you, most of the kids I work with, it isn't about the errors. It isn't about trying to teach them how to, you know, do a frontside, you know, 180 air. You know, it's more about the fundamentals and grinding on the fundamentals. And it takes a lot of work to get to the point where these guys are at with their rail game. How do you regroup after a heat like that? It was just one mistake, to be honest, because he picked the first wave of that set, and then Felipe was on the second one. Jordy gives Felipe that first wave, maybe he does the same thing. But the next wave was just, you know, so, you know, ridiculous how, you know, the wave was good. So, anyway, that was the mistake, was he had position, which we tried to do. He picked the wrong wave. Felipe was on a giant score behind him. Wording it that way implies that there's some objective information like, hey, the second wave is always better at J-Bay. Mm-hmm. Jordy, you made a mistake by going on the first wave. But I would argue but that's remember true. when he got beat by Felipe, it wasn't the airs. That was the three-man heat, right? Right, 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 right. right. Felipe beat him on in the other heat right. on turns and barrels. Okay. Didn't do an air. Yeah, that was remember but, we surfed against him again on the quarters. Yeah, it was, it was the resurf where he got beat with the airs. Right. So the mistake was the neck, you know, the wave, and then Felipe's on his way back out from his nine, whatever it was. Boom, turns around and gets another wave, and Jordy's you know up the point. So it was just like bang, bang, yeah. flip it. You know, Felipe gets the first wave, which you would have went because Jordy had position. Right. So it's, it was one mistake. It looks, like, it looks like a mistake in hindsight. I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah. Do you send Jordy out there and say, go on the second wave? You're, what you're saying is rely on your instincts and try to find the best wave. Yeah. But in that moment, he can't see over the first wave to know that the second one is going to be better. Well, right? if you want to get like super like this is what happened, I mean, there was black clouds on the horizon. And I'm sitting in the stairs and I'm calling sets for him the entire event. You know, you can How do you see... Call him? It's more of, you can kind of see when J-Bay's really good and you're high enough up, you can see which one's got more water in it, right? And that's the sure. thing at J-Bay. You don't want it to be kind of a backless sort of weak one. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the wall, you, and you want to see that wall stretching way. So it's real subtle stuff that I get a little weird him trusting me on it, but that's the one place where we call waves. And so when that set came in, there was, it was glassy, and there was this black cloud where normally it's sunny, for the most part and this black cloud was shining down and you couldn't really see the nuances of the waves right so i'm just like i whistle here's a set i give him one of these like make your choice you know what a good wave looks like 
Maybe he looks at Felipe and goes, I can't give him this wave. He's too good. Maybe right. he looks at it and goes, I've been going the first wave anyway and been winning, so I'm going to go. So I don't put total restrictions on people unless it's like every time the second wave is the good one. You know, like that's what we're doing. Bells is like that, like okay. for the most part. Second wave, you know what a good wave looks like. You do your thing, okay. you know. Um, but that was the backstory of the mistake was right. that he picked the first one. It was like a steep drop and he got stuck and he wobbled. And then the next wave just went, was just perfection, you know, and that could have changed the whole, you yeah. know, and that was the one mistake he made the whole event really, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot to digest, a lot of different directions. If you go. <laughs> I feel like I want to bring it back to how you regroup after that. You, you, um, mentioned that there's one mistake so we kind of focused on that Mm -hmm. how do you regroup about just felipe changed the paradigm in that heat Mm -hmm. of firstly how j bay can even be surfed functionally yes like a lot of people would have said previously you could do an era j bay but maybe on an end section and like it's not really part of the flow of the Mm -hmm. wave well now it is Mm -hmm. so well now it is when there's devil wind that was the only time he did it you know, yeah. The rest of the event, he he carved and got tubed. Didn't sure. do any other aerials. Yeah, not one. Well, so, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Maybe on a flawless face, somebody will do something. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's tough with the way the yeah. wind blows. There, it blows from behind offshore. If it is offshore, for the most part, it'll switch from that devil, and then you know. So it's pretty tough, you know. To you know, there's. They don't normally run when there's devil wind for right. the most part. They try not to, and they go, well, the wind's going to get clean, so we're going to start, we're going to get going, or there hasn't been any waves. We've got to run in devil wind, that kind yeah. of stuff. So, I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, it almost sounds like I'm saying like airs aren't amazing, no, airs aren't no. this. It's just, you know, you watch John John at freaking Margaret's, you think he's going to take the world title, we're done. It was just like he surfed that much better than everybody. His equipment matched the waves that much better, but then he gets to Bell's. And he starts looking human again. You know yeah. what I mean? And so there's this shift that keeps going this way and that way. And, you know, there's times where Felipe looked completely unstoppable a couple years ago. And then at the beginning of this year, he would fall on some airs and he would, he, you could see his confidence wasn't quite there. And, you know, so it swings back and forth. So you don't have to just look at it and go, oh, we're screwed. Felipe's just going to smoke us the whole rest of the year. Look where he's at. You just have to understand that every event's a new event. Yeah. People show up with whatever's in their head, whatever board they're on. You know, there's a lot of conditions. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you just have to, like, believe in the process, do your thing. And, you know, Jory's got all the ammunition. And when do you bust it out? And there's times to do it and there's times not to do it, right? I agree. And I do agree that he has all the ammunition. It's undeniable. Yeah. What I'm concerned about is that... What we've gained in Jordy in terms of consistency, mm-hmm. we've lost in spontaneity. Sure. So we used to see him use that whole arsenal back yeah. in the day, and mm-hmm. certainly in film parts. Mm-hmm. I don't see it as much anymore. Like, like to Stephen Shearer's point in that article, like Jordy could have been the one doing the air on the Devil Wind Day, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's gotten to a place where he doesn't want to dance with it because he knows either. If he falls, no score, or maybe the yep. judges just won't score it as high as they do mm-hmm. until somebody takes it to a complete different level like Felipe did. You know, like that yeah. was... A, I mean, a is lesson. this based on you looking at this article, or is this an opinion you had before looking at the article? Because if you look at the year, we were at, you know, we were at Snapper, 
and he was doing airs and he was doing supermans and he was doing little airs and stuff when it called for it and then we're going to margaret's you're not going to really do airs you know for yeah. the most part guys some guys are but it's not really known as like we're going to win doing airs john john won on these power carves bells is in a place you're going to be doing airs brazil was a fat kind of left there wasn't a lot of you know and the rights were super risky to go right they're warbly they'd close out it was tough there was some situations where jordy did go to the air and didn't make them you know so i mean i'm not defending it it's just it just got to be the right condition in the right time and for us you have to think of your point of difference against the guy you're surfing against what's your point of difference against felipe it's not doing airs against him you try to match him at his own game you're gonna look silly so you have to balance it all out with there's excellent surfing on both sides of the scale, right? And what's your point of difference against the guy you're surfing against? And um, what can you... And his strength is... And his strength is is going to be just power hacks. And, you know, look what he did at lowers. I mean, Philippe, you know, last year in the semis, Felipe lands a full rotator on a two-foot closeout. It's just like Jordy's like, I could do an air there, but am I going to match him in that situation? Can I take off on a closeout? and match him. My air is going to be a 7, his is going to be a 9. What else can I do? I can catch a set. I can, you know, stitch together a flawless, powerful, you know, innovative in that he was releasing the tail, but it was power carve into tail release into perfect flow and strain the maneuvers together. Still fitting the criteria, but just in a different way. Got it. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So you don't think that we're losing any spontaneity? And I mean, we don't talk about holding back. We just think about what do we need to do to win, you know? Mm. And that maybe is a, is a fault of the system. But, you know, back in the day, we always used to say, hey, judges, be careful what you start judging. Because if everyone, if it's just airs or it's just this, 
You know, you're going to have an air tour on your hands. It starts looking silly. You've got people who can't do airs flying down the line, jumping around. Everyone's getting flatter rockered boards. And then those fundamentals start going out the window. So that balance that the judges have to walk and that we have to walk is, it's a fine line between making it look silly and taking away from, you know, how do you feel the other about, side of it. How do you feel about the current judging? They do a pretty damn good job, you know, considering, like I said, you've got, there's two different ways to get a good score, you know, because I think of surfing as adjectives. I don't think of it as points, right? Think of it as a description, you know, is that excellent surfing? Yes or no. And I think they ask themselves that question and, and to, and to wade through that is, is tricky, especially as fast as they have to do it. And I mean, they're committed to their job and they, they do a pretty good job. And I'm not just saying that because I got a guy on the tour. I think they do a pretty good job. It's pretty thankless, you know, in the end. Certainly they is. only get written off totally. when, when they blow it or it's perceived that they blow it. For the most part, they get the results right. But they do tend to pendulum a little bit, you know. They kind of go, whoa, too much on the air side. Whoa, too much on the car side. And they kind of, you know, and they've been readjusting over time. And they're getting pretty good at separating that, I think, you know. But, um, yeah, it's a tricky job. I, I agree it is thankless, and they never get congratulated when they get it right. They sure. only get ridiculed when they get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I also agree. I think that it's good. Overall, yep. it's good. Like, I would yep. commend all of them. There's always one or two waves or even heats in an yep. event that I do question. If for In J-Bay, it was the Frederico yep. final wave against John John. Sure. You know, it's like, well, that's a tough one to... But... I think it's the nuances that maybe they don't understand as not being former pros and not being, you know, some of them surf great and they're all, they're all, you know, proficient surfers, but there are nuances there that, um, that maybe they don't catch sometimes, or there isn't a system in place for them to break down maneuvers, you know, the back, backhand windshield wiper compared to, you know, and then the, ang- the angles yeah. of attack on a front side car, this guy's going, you know, guys are going from six to nine o'clock on their carbs and, you know, as opposed to coming all the way around and, and, you know, and those types of little nuances and being able to break down a wave that way, or did they have tools to break down the Tanner Gabriel heat, you know, who really yeah. deserves that heat? And if you're looking at two backhand waves, like how do you differentiate between these maneuvers and how do you say which backhand turn is harder than the other turn? Cause then it gets down to degree of difficulty, right? Because if it's just a bunch of backhand slams, and it's pretty repetitive. How do you break those waves down? You right. know, and I, I think there's not really a system in place for that. Well, you know, what degree of difficulty is my point? You yeah. know what I mean? Like the backhand windshield wiper is one of the easiest turns in surfing, and and it yet and it's no rail, no release equals no risk. Right? That's kind of my my thought. Um, so rail is risk. You could dig. Release is risk. You could spin out. But when there's neither one of those, there's the risk level goes way down. And um, so I think they've gotten a little crazy with, in certain times, just based on the spray and the power of that maneuver. So that's just little nuances that I would like to see cleaned up, you know. Um, I The other really interesting point, you were talking about Jordy's carves. You know, like the flow and the power and mm-hmm. the progression, all of it's really next level. Yep. But then you did say, is it high risk for Jordy? No, but it's amazing surfing. Mm-hmm. I 
would argue that the judges shouldn't even factor in whether it's risky for Jordy or not. Of course not. But they, but it does. Yeah. You know, like you see Felipe, we all know he could do airs. So if he goes out and does a regular air, they give him a five. Whereas yep. the year Kieran Perot did the double grab straight air, they gave him an eight because it was Kieran, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I see that happening all the time where Jordy yeah. will get downscored at some way, some, a place like Jay Bay because we've seen him do it before and we know that he can do it. Mm-hmm. But by the way, it's way gnarlier than anything we've seen Kanoa do, right. you know? So yeah. that's a real sticking point for me with the judging criteria. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to work around it because, mm-hmm. of course, we're all we all have expectations for John John when he paddles out. We just know. Yeah, you can take jersey color off him; we still know it's him. Yeah. You know, and there's yeah, no yeah. way to shield us from that preconceived. Yeah, and that you know the Karen era was in that "be careful what you start judging" era. You know where. It, it's just like any time where the Jadson, you know, it's just like yeah. the front side air reverse. Boom, I'm going to win every event, and then they had to re- they had to rethink the whole way they approached it the next season. And Jadson couldn't get a score doing it. Where the pendulum is swinging because if you think about it, what you start scoring is what people start doing. You know exactly, yeah. and you want to see beautiful, seamless surf. You want to see a dance. You want to see a performance. You don't want to see a slam dunk contest. Right, running at the hoop and slamming. Nobody watches those they watch the nba finals because it's a complete performance it's a it's a complete thing and other people are interesting for different reasons on the tour and that's what's cool about it you yeah. know that a seamlessly put together wave that's carved with variety and you know and and just a perfect performance on a wave they've never seen before it takes a lot of skill and do that repetitively over and over and never put a foot wrong Every wave's different. To, to your mind's making those decisions, boom, boom, boom. To put that together is incredible, and to be an acrobat like Felipe is also incredible. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's equally. I wouldn't. It's hard to say it's equally difficult because what Felipe does is something that no one's ever done. He puts together video parts in surf contests, yeah. and and John John could be in that same vein, and Jordy too. At a certain point, in a certain condition, he's going to fling airs if if that's what it calls for. Yeah, you know. I I personally believe like the best high performance surfing that we're seeing nowadays takes place on tour. Like yep. whether it's Jordy or John John or Philippe, like that's not only is he putting together video parts in a heat, they're better than video parts that he does free surfing. It's almost like yep. the competitive arena allows him to perform at a new level. Yeah. Um, and it's dangerous to do that every day. And just yeah. do that day in day out to try to stick a six foot alley oop oh, day yeah. after day after day. And if you're doing that every day, you're okay. you're risking, you know. There's that balance too, yeah. right? You know, like we'll be warming up for an event with Jordy, and he'll just be like six feet out on a backhand rotator, and I'm just in my mind, I'm going go limp, go limp, go limp. We have no reason to try to land that right then, you know. Yeah. Which sounds silly, but you got to get through a whole season somehow without yeah. folding your knee, and it's pretty high impact and pretty high risk, especially for somebody his size, right? Right. So there's that balance with all of it that's, that's tricky. You know, you don't want to tell your guy don't do airs because that takes some confidence away. But you yeah. don't want to say just go for it, man. Every wave you see, you just fling it because we're practicing airs for our contest coming up. So I don't know. It's, I, uh, this yeah. is a total tangent. But um, I pitched a thought recently, which was in terms of improving the judging of performances. Yep. I don't think there's a reason to judge things live anymore. The only reason we started with this format of what we're doing, where they judge them 
write down the score immediately and that's now committed in cement Mm -hmm. is because we didn't have video cameras and video review previously. I'm wondering now if it would solve a lot of problems to just let the guys serve for 30 minutes and almost judge in retrospect with the reviews and assess the entire 30 minutes. Because how often do they get you know, boxed into the corner of they give a guy a nine early in the heat mm-hmm. and then later in the heat somebody does something that is actually three points better but we don't have a 12 on the scale so we yeah. got to give it a nine five but then Kelly gets a better barrel and gets a nine seven and you're boxed yeah. in. Yeah. Like that, that would a eliminate a lot of that if we just kind of let the guys surf yeah. in their own. Or I always thought, I, I mean this is a huge issue. I've been burned by it as a pro. I threw coaching i've seen it over and over and over again and even just watching events but my thought was the scale should be one to eight at the start of a heat where an eight's a perfect score so a six would be an eight right and then you have room in the scale then once the first wave of consequence is ridden you scale it one to ten i mean one to eight and then after that you have those those others because they get so so horny on these high scores and you're saying then that a three is an average score, not a five. So if you get an average, if you get an average score, you get a three, and you just go from there. And then once that first wave of consequence, like a, a legitimate, like wow, that was a decent wave, you know, and you then you can move up. Hmm. Then you then you leave it up there. Is it going to look cool in the score line? No. All the stats are going to go out the window for your career heat averages. All of that stuff's going to be it's going to not look as good. But right. will it leave room for Felipe to do what he did, yeah. you know, because obviously his ten was seven points higher than his nine five yeah. or whatever. Well, I forget what they scored in that era, but you know, yeah. it was a nine, I think, right? Yeah, it was the full rotation, yeah, regular rotation, right? And then yeah. he and then he did a turn and then he did a layback and fell, right, right. And so in comparison, he does two giant alley oops and then surfs. Take the two alley oops out of it. Watch the way he surfed the rest of the wave was an eight. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, totally. I mean, it's a 15. Still won the heat, but to your point, they do get a little crazy with that first mm-hmm. score sometimes. That first wave of consequence, they get a little little excited. That's what I'm thinking. In hindsight, you could just put everything into con- its proper context. Yep. And then also, um, I think, I don't know, it would take pressure off for guys trying to compete with what... if. Jordy knows Felipe did a couple of errors and knows that he only has however many minutes left, then he might try to go for an error to match that score. This Mm -hmm. allows everybody just to surf their own expression, not knowing what the scores even are. It's like, I'm going to go surf the best I know how to surf. I think it opens up a lot more possibility for personal expression and like uniqueness. I think that would work in a cumulative score format as opposed to an individual because man-on-man is like you're trying to beat that guy, Right. right? right? Or a cumulative score you would be surfing against everybody. So it doesn't matter what the hell that guy did. I'm thinking about what the guy did in the heat before me because he had higher scores, so that would push the performance level. And now that there's there's four-man and three-man priority, you could have more people in the water surf trying to you're surfing towards your best one score per you know your best one two scores per round you're surfing for over an hour you know it it would push the and then there's cuts along the way you know more like a a cumulative thing because that's really how it should work but it's not as that as exciting to watch that head-to-head people are getting interferences not as much but everybody wants to see the best surfer over that week win right but it takes away the the um 
you know, the Frederico's, it takes away that working man story. It takes away the rookie being able to do this and, you know, yeah, you know, but in the end, it's all a little unfair because you got to get the best waves pretty much no matter what. So it, it yeah. comes down to competing. It comes down to getting the best waves. Unless you can turn a six into a 10 like Felipe or, or a lot of, you know, the top five can kind of do that, turn bad waves. And it's really about, it, oh, pretty much for the most part, it comes down to who catches the best waves. Which we're going to a spot in two days where that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, Chopu, whoever gets the best waves out there wins. Yep. Felipe can't turn... A six into an eight out there? No. Um, well, he could if he rides a foam ball, and you know what I mean, like Kelly does. Kelly turns true. sixes into eight, so you know he's not. The kid's a freak. I mean, he could all of a sudden just turn it on out there, and yeah, you know, unproven you know I mean? in these waves, though. And sure. I would and I would argue that's been a criticism of Jordy too. His big uh-huh. backhand barrels. Mm-hmm. Is it? A, I don't know that I've seen him flail in those conditions. I've just never seen him strive or thrive in those conditions. Sure. What are your thoughts on Jordy and big backhand barrels? I don't think it's this big thing that needs to be corrected. I, we worked on one technical thing in his backhand barrel riding that was was pretty minor that, that is helping. And he just got back from uh, Macaroni's where he sat in the tube for like six days. Um, so that gets me pretty stoked as far as him being able to work on that technical stuff. But just like you said, it's a wave catching contest. I think in the past he's been on closeouts. He's been on the fat ones. He's been on... You know, getting hurt. He's he's out of rotation. You know, like doesn't see that wide west bowl coming in and that kind of stuff. So we're going to focus a lot on on the lineups, the waves we're looking for, that kind of stuff. So I think it's a small technical thing in his barrel riding that's uh, that we've addressed, and he he's pretty good. If you saw Skeleton Bay, I mean, he he can get barrel. You know, so yeah. it's not that. It's it's really. You know, maybe there was a lack of confidence. So when you have a lack of confidence, you might pick the wrong wave, and there's this and that. So we're trying to go in the. It's not this big deal. Let's just okay. go pick good waves. You know, because it's it's not difficult for somebody with his 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 ability. Yeah, exactly. if you get the right wave. Are you going to Tahiti? I am. We're leaving tonight. Are you going to every stop this year on tour? I didn't go to Fiji. Okay. Based on space and it being, he brought his wife too, so it pretty, gets pretty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like 500 a day or something, yeah. you know what I mean? So I didn't go there, but I'm going everywhere else, yeah. Okay, cool. What does your um, day-to-day look like with Jordy? Are you responsible for keeping on a diet program and exercise and that sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, I got three kids at home, so I'm used to cooking and cleaning <laughs> and shopping and running around like a crazy person, you know, trying to do the two jobs I have and all that. So when Jordy's I get on the, the road... I, I, I'm not good at just sitting around, so I do I cook and try to make sure we're not, you know, eating at restaurants and eating a stick of butter when you don't know it and some food and that kind of thing. So I cook a lot. and um, um, How important is diet in your program? I think it's important for everybody, for sure. You know, you try to, you try to make everywhere, if you can get a kitchen pretty much for the most part where you go, that, that's the best you know, you can kind of cater and everyone's, everyone thrives on, on different food. And it's a lot of feedback from what him, I feel a little heavy. I feel a little this, or wow, I feel great this morning. Or, you know, it's not, you know what I mean? You don't have to be a, a nutritionist. It's like yeah. fruits, vegetables, a little bit of protein here and there, light on the dairy, you know, light on the, light on the sugar and just try to hydrate, do your thing. So do you have a regimented, uh, exercise program? No, but we have a, a pretty intense warm-up that we do every single surf that um, is real movement-based. 
uh, for him to, to protect his back. Um, carrying that yeah, injury? Yeah. Well, no, it's just more he had imbalances mm. that, that build up as you get into your you know late 20s kind of a thing where if you didn't pay attention to it, you can kind of get to that point, you know, because surfers are, they have an imbalance just like laying on your back with your neck arched and paddling and all the wrenching. And so he was a little tight in his hips and that, um, that kind of put the pressure on his back because he does a lot of torque. So we've learned, just worked on, sorry, this is super boring, but We've worked on his worked on his mobility in his hips for the most part, and making sure that he's strong in the right ways um, and um, flexible in the right ways. And his back's been great. He did get a little flare up, but that was after a car crash, a thirty hour flight, and surfing J Bay for eight hours. He he flared up um, after right before Belito, oh. and then he came good. And he won Belito, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but he was scared. He said he was laying on the freaking no floor of the plane on his way to Durban, just going, "Oh my god, what did I do?" But that was kind of a perfect storm of, you know. Yeah. But he's 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 good now. He's he, he's moving well, and um, we do little workouts. But he doesn't um, he doesn't respond well to being sore or. And then through the year, I mean, you can work out, but during an event, you do the just just the wrong amount and you're sore and you're a little sluggish and you know it's really about maintenance and keeping him quick and keeping him moving and then for the most part surfing is the best training for surfing mm. um, and then taking care of the imbalances and making sure your your muscles aren't tight tight anywhere and kind of getting you kind of off rhythm you talked about working on boards with jordy you shape i do how'd you get into shaping how long ago and how you know I uh, was young. It was always like working with my hands in wood shop as a kid, and um, and then I was about nineteen twenty. I, I, me and a friend built a shaping room, started messing around um, in, in Santa Cruz. In Santa Cruz, yep. And I probably did two hundred hand shapes, and then shelved it for a while. Didn't shape at all for like, the whole time I was touring, and then kind of got back into it after that and then when all the software and everything started coming around and computer stuff that's when it kind of interests me as far as you know not just covered in foam dust taking three hours to do a board and that kind of thing so I started getting into it then and when I moved to Hawaii I uh, forced Eric Arakawa to hire me because I used to ride for him Mm -hmm. I forced him to hire me as a ghost shaper um, after I moved to Hawaii about 15 years ago Okay. And worked for him for three and a half years okay. as a ghost shaper. And then kind of went on my own and just have a shaping room at my house. And small awesome. business, you know, I do three, four hundred a year, pretty oh. small, but um, it's just like a hobby that makes a little grocery money for, for me. Yeah. That's cool. I've it's seen fun. guys riding your boards. Just, they make their way. They make their <laughs> That's way. like winning the lottery. There's not that many around. No, <laughs> Sean, Sean Ward, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, good, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. So I'm uh lucky by association so there's some good surfers and some friends that ride them that, that yeah. make me look good here and there and the Hobgoods riding them on tour when you were coaching them so we saw them there yeah yeah that was um that was a surprise and um yeah it's fun you know it's the shaper thing to like I want to be the best board in the bag contest you know who's yeah. gonna ride it in the heat and that's always that that's the fun of it is is making them for pros and doing high performance stuff and so that's kind of what I focus on. And and certainly I think adds a lot of value um, to your role as a coach with Jordy in terms of helping him with his board design. He's obviously getting boards from Channel Islands. Mm-hmm. You said you were yep. working with his shaper down south who yep. 
does he have a specific shaper at Channel Yeah, Mike Islands? Andrews. And Mike, oh, okay. Mike's the guy. Like, he's pretty much the one that does all the team stuff. So give him some props. You know, he's behind the scenes grinding every day yeah. um, down there. And uh, Oceanside is where he, where he, where he works. What, uh, how have you been able to influence those designs? What improvements have you made in his board since you guys have been working together? Well, he's... Jordy's specialized in his size, so he's got to have a certain length board, and that certain length doesn't fit in certain ways, so he's really addicted to rocker, and we're trying to get a curvy board to go fast and make subtle changes working within the system and not trying to offend too many people, because when you come in as a shaper with another shaper, and it, you know it just it gets yeah. a little weird, and I'm always throwing disclaimers and just trying to make it cool, and then, you know, you know, the people don't really know your your intentions you know at, at some on some level but um just making you know trying to there's always gaps in the quiver here and there and then the boards fall apart and then you're working on this and we're you know we've got a board for good waves and we've got a board for horrible waves but we kind of don't have that in-between board um that uh, that bridges the gap and so that's it's just little things you don't see you know behind the scenes and you see it on tour when you're there people are stressing on their boards like all the time and a guy that looked like they were on magic boards one year they show up on the gold coast is like whoa that guy's hurting and he's ordering overnights from handley and he's trying to you know it's a never-ending riddle for everybody and for jordy it's even more difficult trying to compete with smaller quicker guys being a big guy so it's 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 tricky we've you know, we've pinched his rails a bit in certain conditions just to get a little bit more release and a little bit more bite in certain spots. Um, and then it's just, I mean, if you think about the scope of all the different waves and all the different conditions and how detail-oriented everybody's getting along the way, that it, it's not like it used to be one board, all conditions. It's like you got to have your 13 clubs in there and they've all a specific shot. You pick the wrong one, that might be the difference between a heat and uh, you know world title in a couple different heats so it's uh it's a tricky one it's tough for everybody you know totally no it's fascinating um i want to ask kind of moving away from jordy for a few minutes ask you to give your coaching expertise on a couple of other guys on tour if you don't mind (laughs) if you don't mind stepping into the mud real quick This might be politically correct, so watch out. Yeah. It might be, um, you I, could, I might put a different hat on here. You can dodge any of them that That's cool. you want. Yeah, I'll, um, be, I'll be nice. Kelly Slater. Yeah. How would you coach Kelly pre-injury? Like, obviously now you, you don't have much to coach, but before that injury happened, yep. and I'll preface it. Yep. Kelly's falling apart. In my mind, Kelly, <laughs> like, his, his interests are too deferred. Like, he's yeah. got so much going on. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm blaming it on. I don't know what Kelly would kind of blame his results on, but the guys, everybody thinks like, oh, no, he's still doing good. It's like, well, when was the last of anyone? Well, Chopu last year, mm-hmm. and um, when was the last time he won Pipe? You know, events that you think he should be winning every year, yeah. he hasn't. And yeah. I would argue it's like, well, he's got a lot of eggs in a lot of different baskets, and so that's, as a coach, maybe that's where the focus needs to be. A lot of people would criticize the boards that he's been riding, and mm-hmm. that's where the focus needs to be. As a coach, pre-injury, how would you have coached Kelly if he brought you on at the beginning of this season? Jeez, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, he's it's just tough. I mean, he's just it, we should just kind of go, Kelly, you're amazing. Thanks for what you've done for the sport. That's my first reaction. Like, 
give him a break. He's trying to make it interesting on these different boards. He's creating this new board company. And he is, I mean, he's got a lot of different stuff. You see an event go on, then all of a sudden he's in New York doing this thing. And he's just, At some he's just buzzing a around. And, you yeah. know, this is, this. like I said, this sport's becoming so detail-oriented and so focused on people are doing the work. And maybe for so long, at least early, he didn't do the work. He just surfed, and on talent he won. Then he was doing the work and was winning as well. And now he's, I mean, give him a break. He's 40, how old is he, 45, 46? Yeah. 46 years old. Yeah. It's just like, you know, maybe it's a little harder to get to his feet. You know, like <laughs> he's got a sore back. Like, he's got injuries. He's got, I mean, he suffers through a lot of pain. And so I'm not trying to be super politically correct. You know, I would say, yeah, the boards are an issue. Um, but that's something that takes a lot of work, that, that maybe takes some compromise in him having fun with board design and, um, and trying to do something new and... You know, I think he has been undervolumed for for a while, um, and he's more towards a normal board now than he was at certain points. He was on five five fishes and right. you know digging rail, and so you know that was you know obviously pretty far from what he should have been riding. You know, through through some of those years, if he's on a five ten flyer as opposed to some of those other boards, he's he's probably winning a lot more heats than he than he was. But um, yeah, I say just let him goof around and. And have fun, and he wants to win, but I think he wants to do it on his terms. But his body's sore; he's less interested now. I mean, he's been doing the tour forever. It's hard to get fired up. It's hard to do all those little things, and that's what it takes. You know, that's what it. Unfortunately, that's what it takes when people have kind of caught up. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah, he can't compete with, let's say, Felipe at waist high snapper. No, you know. No, but I do agree. He does get fired up when the waves are super good. Like, that's why he won Chopu last year, was yep. it was 8 to 10 feet and perfect and, like, yep. treacherous. Yep. That's where he's on a level that nobody else is on. Yeah, especially that's, in that's it's, it's experience. Yeah, that's, it's, totally. it's his read on the wave, his freakish ability to ride the barrel, to pick a wave, to know what to do in crazy situations. I mean, those are, like, life-or-death situations, and he's playing with the foam ball and exactly. ducking in last second and coming out on dry reef and... You know what? I had a weird thought. Like, have you ever seen him with refresh? No. Dude, he gets lipped on 10-footers at shish kebabs and comes up fine. Everyone else is shredded. He's got some weird dolphin trip going on. I don't know. That's just beside the point. I was making that conversation. Like, wait, how is Kelly not bandaged up right now? Or how is he not hurt? And how is he, you know? So maybe he's masking a lot of injuries that, you know, so maybe there's... Uh, there's more to it than, than we know. In the way that he knows how to ride the foam ball, he also knows how to fall, maybe, you know, just sure. avoid the injury. For sure. And he opens his eyes every time he duck dives, and he never closes his eyes in the barrel. He could be just getting, you know, white waters popping him in the eyes, and he's just like, Weird. his eyes are pinned open, you know, so he's always looking for that exit. Most people get hit, they close their eyes, they lose where they are for a second. And, yeah. You know, he's got some things going on that, in, at least in those conditions uh, these days, you know, that no one else does for sure. My second uh, CT figure I want you to give me advice on, why hasn't Julian Wilson won a world title? From what I see, just overthinking it, wanting it too bad, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, maybe he can be guilty a little bit of holding back, you know, here and there, because his video parts and his, you know, that he puts together, like, the day after the contest in Indo or at, at home definitely tells a different tale. But again, if you look at the waves that they're on, 
a lot of times they're not waves that call for aerials. They're not waves that mm-hmm. call for that. The winds are wrong. Like you're not going to go for a giant alley with the winds at your back down yeah. offshore. You're just not going to do it. So, um, but I don't know. I don't know Julian well enough. He's a very private person. He's very quiet. You know, so you don't really, you know, you can't really get inside of his head. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe he's been riding the two mo- same model aboard for too long. And he hasn't looked much different or, you know, I would, I would try to mix it up a little bit maybe, you know, to try a little bit different line or a little bit different equipment and just try to look a little, a little spicy, spicy. And maybe he's so smooth and makes it look so easy that it just comes off as just a, you know, as a seven, as opposed to an eight or a nine or what he needs, you know, maybe he makes, needs to make it look harder. <laughs> I think there is an element of that for sure. Um, as a technique guy, um, his technique looks flawless to me mm. you know like he looks so fundamentally sound and his yeah. surfing is beautiful his style is beautiful yeah red bull just dropped an edit of him surfing j bay mm-hmm. uh either before or after the comp my mind was blown i was yeah. just like dude the guy he should be a world champ like it's yeah he's so good it's a wave catching contest know, let's be real you know what yeah. i mean you catch the wrong waves you make a mistake you you know, you get a wave that doesn't allow you to do your thing, and yeah. you just you can't get a score. You know, an average waves, an average wave at best, you're going to get slightly above average surfing. You know, yeah. an excellent wave, chances are someone's either going to get an eight or a nine, they're going to beat you. So, it's it's uh, we're trying to judge an art form. We're trying to deal with the ocean. There's just a lot of factors that go into it, and sometimes it's just intangibles and bad luck. And mm-hmm. you know, it's there's so many little things that can go into it that. It's hard to pinpoint, but... Um, That's your job, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pinpoint, isolate the variables. We try to, yeah, but that's oh. it. I mean, it's it's way more hippie than it is jock. You know what I mean? I it's agree. way more, let's get in the zone. Let's, you know, like, but it's, you know, being in the moment. And, yeah, you got to catch the best wave. That's it. But it's just like, dude, you know what a good wave looks like. Come on. Wait for one. Don't go a closeout. Don't get a mushy one. It shouldn't be that hard, you know. But some spots, the waves are so specific of what is the good one that you can't turn the other ones into a score. Right. Choke them. Chokes. Yeah. Yes. You can't just, yeah. That hippie versus jock, I think, actually applies to shaping as well, mm-hmm. where it's like there's an element of engineer involved and an element of creative expression involved. Mm-hmm. And can you objectively say that a concave will do this to the board? You can and you can't. I mean, it kind of depends. Who's riding it? What type of wave are you riding it on? Yeah. All, how's the yeah. water traversing the surface? Like, there's just a million. So, but you do need the engineering principles. Yes. You need to diet and exercise. You need certain regimen in for the surfer from a coach standpoint. And then go play jazz. Now that you sure. have the engineering involved, now go be you. Yeah, but it's like an instrument in that it takes thousands of hours of doing it to play the right note, to see all those moves ahead you need to make, and to have that many good boards come back, that many good boards under your arms, because it really is the details, right? Water does not like to run into stuff, you know what I mean? And if you don't do the edge detail right on that concave, it's going to get sticky or tracky. Yeah. If you do it, if you make it too soft to try to make it forgiving, it gets blah and it grabs water. So there's that balance, you know? And um, so that's that's the fun of it is, yeah. is, is going, all right, how much rocker do I have? How much concave do I have? You know, who's riding this board? 
you know how did the, how does the water and you just have to look and you got to think like what's what's water not going to like on this thing right you know because it needs to flow right it can't because if it doesn't flow it goes slow if it doesn't flow on the rail it wraps over the rail and hits your feet and yeah. you dig and that's slow it might bite it might not want to come around so there's a lot of different elements in shaping that um, you know you've got you got a leg up because of the machines but you see it's just not cookie cutter so it really is the details mm-hmm. you know, if the machines are cutting super super close every time and your machine's calibrated right then it's obviously human error at mm-hmm. that point right yeah is it possible to successfully coach more than one surfer at this level I think it's tough to be honest um, I think unless unless you're coaching number 23 and number 32 you know what I mean like which they don't surf against each other very often you're really kind of after the same common goal of trying to beat the top guys you know what I mean but it's tough at the elite level to be coaching multiple people there's a contradiction there for sure it'd be great you'd be making more money but it's a tough one you know it's like when Wilco surfs against Connor Coffin you know it It happens you know I, I used to coach Damien and CJ and they would surf against each other and it's just like do you have a favorite? Do you like yeah. how do you play this? Who gets position? Do you guys flip a coin because you work together? Like, yeah. what do you do? You know, like because I'm going to go bulldog position every time. Look at the odds. You know what I mean? So you tell them both to do that. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a weird one for sure. Wilco and Owen Wright ended up in the same final. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. it was snapper. So what about on the women? You could have a male and a female, right? Yeah, that, be able to that, your- that would work. That would okay. work for sure. But maybe it takes away from that free surf that you need to do on that one board down at Winky Pop while the girls are, girls are surfing Bell's Bowl. And so right. it, it can take away from it for yeah. sure. But, you know, you can make the argument like, dude, you're not paying me enough to pay my bills at home, so I need to do this, sure. you know. And so, you know, I either don't work for you or I got to take on Lakey or Malia or whoever else, you know, as you're, as right. you're doing the tour. And So um, monetarily, great, but 100% focus on your guy, maybe not 100%. Who would you like to work with most? Who might benefit most from your... I think Jordy was big on the list. This is sort of the dream scenario to be able to channel all that weird shit I remember on um, a freak talent that didn't need... You just needed to kind of be pushed in the right direction, you know what I mean? And and small things, not big things. And, um, um, you know, somebody who's deserving of a world title and is, is such a natural talent, you know? Um, but I mean, anybody at the elite level as a coach, you know, you hopefully can come in and, and make the difference and, and help and, and push them over the line. So any of that's interesting because every, every person is their own puzzle and they and every person's a different distinct personality and to, um, and that's where the experience comes in of being able to dial it in for the guy. So it's always a challenge, you know? So I saw Jordy as, as a challenge coming into it and, and a fun one, you know? Yeah. With tremendous potential that's that was more of it is that is more more unseen potential than probably anybody i I mean considering he's been second in the world he wins events he's you know not too many people win contests he's won four events in less than a year major events you know so he's you know he's one of the only i think he's won more events maybe close to the amount of events john john but you know big qs's and and cts i'm talking like so um I have a couple of questions in closing. Um, what surf media do you consume at this point? Um, do you subscribe to magazines? Do you 
scroll Instagram? Like, where are you getting the bulk of your surf media? Um, I mean, I'm I'm not a crazy phone guy. I mean, I do. I look at Beach Grit um, and just random things that look interesting that people are reposting or check this edit out or check this interview out. If it seems interesting to me, I'll click on it. But I wouldn't say I go through and just read everything. Just if it sounds cool or if it's somebody I'm interested in or it sounds like a funny story, I'll read it, you know. But, um, yeah, not, not a voracious. Do you subscribe to any magazines at this point? No. Nobody I know does. No. How weird is that? They became very uninteresting. I don't want to read about somebody's surf trip, to be honest. No. A long-winded no, surf trip? Like, who cares? Who's Like, if you open up a golf magazine, are you going to read about someone's golf trip? No. Who cares? And it was a beautiful morning, and I teed off on the... Oh, my God. I Just two words in, I'm done. You know, I can't listen to it, you know? Yeah. But something that's an opinion or something that's technical or somebody super interesting or, like, somebody comes out of the woods and it's an interesting person and does an interview and... You know, that's that's cool, you know. Anything with Kelly, anything with insight on the, the top athletes or the top shapers or industry heads or any of that stuff is super interesting to me. It's funny that you mentioned Beach Grid as your first. Um, people who I don't think... I envision Beach Grid's readership as one certain demographic, mm-hmm. but whenever I bring up this question, yeah. everybody mentions Beach Grid at this point. Like, people well, outside um, of the demographic that I thought was reading it. Well, it's actual to-the-minute kind of stories that are happening. And and it isn't... Uh, I mean, I just enjoy... You know, it's... You know, if you read, you read Bukowski, or you read this, or you read that. It's just you enjoy good writing, writing that isn't taking itself too seriously. That's what it is. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's fun. It's a little bit of, like, irreverent and a little bit, like, you know, like, fuck, I don't care. Like, I'm going to... Can I cuss on this? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Let it fly. It helped. <laughs> I won't do the C word, all right? I won't. <laughs> it flies in Australia. Does it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, um, it, so it's it's more about it being more fun and it being more gossipy. And it, it's it's real news, but it's there's an opinion behind it, whether I agree with it or not. Like, I don't agree really with that. The thing about Jordy, I, I didn't read that, but I, maybe I will. But it's just like that. Well, I could get an opinion if he wants. You know what I mean? But yeah, you know how informed is that opinion? You know, you weren't there. You didn't see it. You don't know what's going on. Like you know, you can't just watch yeah. things online and know what's going on. You can't. But any press is good press. People are talking about Jordy. He wasn't in the conversation a couple years ago. He was barely in the conversation at the start of the year after getting second. Yeah. And now people are starting to kind of go, okay, all right. Well, that's you know I put my money on Jordy at the beginning of the year for that reason, which yep. was he's proven it by getting second, and yep. but nobody's talking about him, right? And that's the best time to strike. Sure, when there's a target on your back, it makes it a lot tougher. There's no target on his back. Yeah, um, Beach Grid, it's fun. The irreverence is fun, but there's also an element of them like poking people in the eye. Yeah, you know, and poking the surf industry in the eye. Yeah, which is also fun. Yeah. I mean, make fun of me. I'm just, you know, coach is the most boring thing in the world. I'm, yeah. You know what I mean? It's competitive surfing. It's just like, geez, you know, right. like I'm almost asleep right now talking about it. But, <laughs> you know, when you're in the trenches with it, it's fun. You're back in, you're back in competition. It's cool, you know, and, yeah. and, and whether pro surfing's perfect or not, it's like it's what we're involved in. And there's, I mean, if I was a swimming coach, I mean, you just – good go faster like how boring is that there's so much 
the imperfections in it make it perfect, I think, because there's so much to talk about and there's so much going on. There's so much stuff behind the scenes that people don't know. Everyone's got an opinion. And um, that makes it, I mean, I think it makes it cool, you know, in that yeah. way that it, there's so much to dig into with it and that the underdogs have a chance and right. that it is a way of catching contests and conditions and boards and people losing their minds and freaking out and the pressure and the drama of it being like straight up dangerous, you know, some of the times. <laughs> yeah. It's like scary, dangerous stuff these guys are doing. And that gets a little understated too, totally. I think. You know, it's. Uh, it falls on deaf ears when you yeah. see. The Chopu contest, and you yeah. see a bunch of guys doing it. You don't, you forget the consequence involved. Yeah. Um, who's your favorite surfer to watch surf these days? Doesn't have to be on tour, but just like mm. if an edit drops, or maybe you're scrolling Instagram, like who are you going to stop everything to watch? Um. I mean, even before I worked with Jordy, whenever he would drop an edit, I would just be just baffled at his at his um, his variety. The yeah. com- combination of it, and that's totally lame that I say that based on. Um, you can say it. I'm just going to force you to give me a second guy then. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Felipe, I love watching him. Gabriel, um, you know, any any of those guys. If Dane does anything, that's super fun to watch. If Kelly drops something, I'll watch that. Um, John, John, I mean. You know the top level guys are, are super interesting. I mean, give me an example of something not on tour that's fun to watch. I have a few. Um, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just no. not good at just you know pulling them up. I don't have a library of, of them in there. I know there's a number of guys that I just don't see enough of. So whenever something drops, I'm kind of interested. Like a Clay Marzo or something. Clay for sure. Yeah. Wade Goodall out of oh, Australia. Dude, where did he go? Nope. We were talking about him the other day. Like the guy was a freak of nature. Truly, you know? he still is. Um, he broke his leg or something too. Both legs, both of them. Like wow. one healed and then he broke the other one at the same spot. Too. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. Um, I like watching Chippa Wilson's a freak. That guy's really technically sound and just can do things no one else can do. And he's yeah. sort of done a little vanishing act at least for the last six, eight months, I think. Um, he's probably working on something. Or he got hurt. Like, yeah. I don't even know. You don't know these things. Um, a lot of the technical air guys I like to watch um, just to kind of... That's the, the most fun. Um, I can't just watch people get tubed. That's kind of boring to me. Unless it's like Skeleton Bay or... You know, some freakish, freakish wave. Yeah. Um, What's your current relationship like with surfing? Like, how often do you surf? I like to surf all the time. I tore my bicep tendon like nine weeks ago, and I've been out of the water since, almost ten weeks. And so I'm out still. I went to J-Bay, and it was pumping. I didn't get to surf. I'm going to Tahiti, and I can't surf. So I'm feeling a little puffy at the moment. But, um, I mean, I live in Hawaii right near the beach, so I surf as much as I can. I got kids that like to surf, so I surf with them a lot and surf as much as I can. Last year, I blew my knee out, so it's kind of been on this little roll of um, not surfing, but um, yeah, I, I try to get wet. It keeps me happy. Do you ride anything other than shortboards? Not really, no. I mean, I'll ride fishes and twenties and kind of mess around with that stuff, but um, yeah, not a big longboard. You know, I'll, I can still ride a one-foot wave. So, Perfect. if I can't ride a one foot wave anymore, I, I'll, I'll switch to a longboard. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still, I'm still fighting the fight. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is usually the last question for everybody interviewed, but it'll be the second to last because I've got another one for you. But what is the last surfboard that you rode? I rode a 
a five nine liar two. It's called a liar. It's a copy of a flyer that oh, I did, okay. and I kind of resurrected it based on a board a guy um, ordered, and I liked the look of it, so I made it and I wrote it at uh, Goat Island with my son last time I surfed before I hurt my arm. Do you ride other shapers? As a shaper, do you ride other shapers' boards? I'm not opposed to it, but I just, you know, I have my boards. But if I'm on the road, and you know, like I rode one of Seabass's um, Fred Rebels when I was in Brazil. I didn't have a board a couple years ago, and so I'm not opposed to it. Is it an informative experience? Do you learn from riding somebody else's equipment? For sure, yeah. And, and, um, but it's... Uh, I haven't done enough of it to you know to say that, but I rode everyone else's boards before I started shaping. Sure. Know? So yeah, it's you know I've I've had enough good boards from all the different guys to at least know what a good board is. So hopefully I'm not totally in denial if I think one of my boards is good. If you could order a board from anybody mm-hmm. on the planet right now, what would you order? I would order a hand shaped Al Merrick flyer. An old one, like an old, just an old classic Al curve of some kind, you know, get a tin job on it, get some glass on fins, and pull them out of retirement, have them shape me board. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Um, so the actual final question for you is just based on... And then I would copy it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the name The Liar. The it's, Liar? It's funny. It's clever. It's The Liar 2. Oh, it's The Liar 2. It's the second version of it. You I really got The Flyer. Yeah, the flyer too. It's a liar too. But the new flyers are, are not as uh, I didn't like them as much. The ones with the V out the tail. Oh, okay. Sorry, Channel Islands. <laughs> um, I rode uh, the um, one of the Surf Tech versions of it. Maybe that's what it was. That could. I just didn't like the the way they did the curves because the old one is such a classic, and Kelly did so much damage on that. And that's basically yeah. what Jordy rides, you know, at lower still, and so that's still like a that's like a proven. Board. There's a lot of different people who have. You know, bit that design over time, and so it's one of those that kind of stands the test of time. Quick detour question: You just mentioned Surf Tech. Um, is there a better construction than just poly with a wood stringer? Uh, maybe I don't know. What what do you what's your take on what works best currently? Have you? Well, a lot of guys are riding epoxy, and they look good in certain conditions. And then those, all those carbon things with no stringers, you see people going fast on those and doing some pretty good work on those. And guys have ridden them on tour to some success. So I think the most interesting is that kind of carbon wrap, carbon thing that Mayhem and JS. And, I mean, everyone's doing it. They've got their own version of it. But, but just um, portions are wrapped, like the rails or the tail, not, not a full wrap. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I think Mayhem calls his the carbon wrap, but... Um, that's the one that I've seen people kind of maybe do the most contemporary, maybe have a little bit of an edge kind of in the smaller stuff um, kind of design. Um, but it just seems, yeah, the whole poly thing just seems to be hard to get away from. And maybe it's just because you can just make 20 of them and pick the best one, you know, where it's hard to make 20 carbon wraps and pick the best one. But yeah, I think for... The small amount of boards that people get of them, they seem to have a pretty good high ratio of, of doing what they're designed to do, which is give you a little bit of squirt and a little bit more kind of spark when the waves aren't powerful. Right. Yeah. But that seems to be it. I don't think there's anything in good waves that's kind of come across that's better than poly. You can see people ride, you know, epoxies here and there, and they don't quite, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't quite do it overall. And maybe we've just designed the materials for so long. Maybe we need different rockers. I mean, it's just endless. You see what's out there in the water. It's just it's endless. Endless fins, endless shapes, endless materials, endless... It all seems to come back, though, to Polly with the wood stringer. like, And even Kelly, with his new board company, the boards that I feel like he's had the best success on are the Polly with the wood stringer. There's still the KS logo on them, or the Slater Designs logo on them, or whatever. But, like, whenever he's struggling, it's because he's riding the epoxy one that's shorter than the others and the the firewire construction instead of traditional construction. So... um, while there's like always a lot of talk about it, I don't see people winning events on them. You know? Yeah, I mean Berez does all right, but I'm not sure which ones because they always they'll either paint the stringer or they'll right. have the composite stringer. So I'm not which is which. I'm not like right up there looking at them. Yeah, so it's hard to say which is uh, which which, which is a fake or which is a real right. um, kind of deal. But you know they have their place, just like everything. You know, but fortunately or unfortunately, the place for Polly is. Is, it's just such a consistency to it. it. Just whatever, just it comes down to resonance and how our board resonates, right? It's the note that it plays, and it just plays the best, the better note. You know, yeah. it just it, there's a, a certain flex and a certain tone that uh, that 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 has that uh, that we've either designed to or gotten used to, or somehow we stumbled on the best construction freaking fifty years ago. You know, mm. <laughs> it's weird though, right? <laughs> it's it's weird. kind of fascinating. It's, it's very strange. You know, it's very strange. And, Enough people now are trying to stray from the norm, and there's enough aerospace people, and you know, yeah, I've seen a bit of that. What's that other stuff? With the varial, I've seen some people do some good stuff on that. Yeah, but um, not sure how um, environmentally, or at least you know, how good it is for you to inhale that when you're shaping. So it's that's a tricky one. I'm it, not not that I'm saying it's publicly <laughs> it's no. sketchy, but I don't think it's exactly. Um, it's not all sussed green. out yet, yeah. and, and also. The price point is just prohibitive. It's sure. kind of like if it's ten percent more, maybe. But if it's yep. twice as much more, that makes it a, expensive. A ten. Probably means a lot of chemicals. So who knows? But it, I mean, it's. But I've seen some good stuff on it, so I sure. will, you know, quantify yeah. that with like, wow, I've seen Dorian do some cool stuff on it. Seems to not break as much. You know, there are some there are some benefits. So maybe the cost is is worth it. You know, it'd be cool to mess around with it because as a big guy, you know, Jordy likes epoxies. He can ride epoxies and decent sized surf and he gets good results and it quickens up his surfing a little bit so be interesting to see I mean open to anything to be honest you sure. know, as far as bring it on you know um, final question is just based on the progress that Jordy's made and what your objectives kind of were for him when you guys first connected and how he's responded to your input mm-hmm. do you think this will be the year that he wins a world title you know, the, this is like, you just look to the heavens and just go, is this the year that everything goes your way? You know what I mean? Because it is some of the little things that you can't predict and then you just hope you make the right decisions. It's the everything happens for a reason deal. You know, it's not as if I time myself running and I'm the fastest, so I have a great chance of winning. It's just more like, can we let our best surfing come out at the right time? Do we make the right decisions? Does the seeding go our way? Does the wave come our way the last second or is it two seconds late? So you just hope the, you know, hopefully the universe has a plan and the plan is for us to win a world title, you know, but we're going to just do everything we can. And then in the end, it's, it's about regrets. It's not about results, right? You regret looking back and going, geez, I made mistakes. I didn't prepare. I didn't do that one thing. I was stupid. I wasn't thinking I fell on that one wave, you know, 
you know, so just looking back, you want to go, hey, I did everything. No stone unturned, and we had fun. And so hopefully that's a world title. You have a little track record to look back on. Do you have any regrets about the time you've spent with him? Um, well, anytime you, you know, J-Bay, geez, wish I would have called him the second wave, not knowing what it looked like based on it being gray skies. And so, you know, there's little things like that. But, um, no, nah, I mean, when we look back, it's really about, you know, the information, the board choices, the, the things, you know, if you're on the best board and you have the best game plan and, you know, there are times where I didn't say, hey, get position, make sure you have position. If you don't have it, fight for it. And, you know, there's, you know, a couple of the heats that we lost were, were just not sticking to the game plan and not being right. as adamant as I could be about what we're trying to do, you know. And then you don't want to be too in people's face. They look confident. Go do your thing, you know. And I'm, I'm a little bit more of a, you know. So there's not crazy regrets. I think we've done pretty well. He's um, whether it's a coincidence or whether I'm helping, he's he's doing better. So he's, he's he's winning events and not making too many mistakes. So yeah, it appears to me he has a focus that I haven't seen before. I would see some ups and downs in his kind of mental game, yep. and he feels a lot more confident self-assured yeah. than I've seen in the past. I think he's really comfortable with himself. He's comfortable with his surfing. He feels like he's back where he belongs. Settled and in. there's a lot of there's a lot of like there's a lot of confidence there right now. Yeah. And um and uh yeah, it's just it's we'll see how <clears throat> how he reacts going to the back end of the year and it's, you know, partially my job to try to keep him. Yeah. Cuz it's really just about being in the moment, you know, yeah. and not looking too far ahead and not looking behind. I mean, if you live in the past, one foot in either one you're, you're digging rail, so yeah. um, try to just, you know, zen out, have fun. Just go, go, <laughs> go throat stomp them and choke them. Yeah, no, no, no. Just all about rhythm. <laughs> all about wave choice. And anytime I say, like, go get them, go freak out, and just go for it, it just gets out of rhythm. So yeah. it's, it's like right. every guy's different, right? So it's really about just being calm and asking yourself the right questions in that situation. So, cool. Yeah. Right on, dude. Thank you. My pleasure. It's fun. Huge thanks to Chris Gallagher Stone. I will have links to his social media and how you can contact him on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I thank you not only for... Um, you know, because I enjoyed this conversation, Chris, but also for the listeners. I look at this Surf Splendor kind of podcast network as a body of work. And so I think that this conversation contributes a lot to that larger conversation about surfing. And um, it was just fantastic. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time on your very limited schedule. I look forward to connecting with you during the lowers contest. And thank you to listeners for not only tuning in, for but for supporting this show for sharing it with friends. That's how this show grows. You could do that on social media, tag them in a post, share something on their Facebook wall. And then of course, another great way is just to rate and review this show in iTunes. 
I can't say thank you enough. I know it's kind of a hassle to do, but if you can do that, that really helps with our search engine optimization. It helps other people to find the show, which of course helps this show grow. So rate and review the show on iTunes or any podcast app that you listen in. And then lastly, don't forget to participate in this Motai custom board bag giveaway that we're hosting throughout the end of this month. If you've ever contributed to this show financially, even months ago, you will still be entered to win. But for those of you who are sitting on the fence, who have been considering doing it, do it before the end of this month of August, and you will also be entered to win this $250 value custom-made board bag made from recycled wetsuits. You can find out how to do that on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. All right? That's a lot of me talking for this week. I'm going to be back next week with a new episode of Grit with Chaz Smith. Until then, you know what you need to do. You need to get back in the ocean, get a couple of waves, and shred on. <laughs>